Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham, Scott, alongside, as always, hello, Scott. Sean, what's up? Uh, long time. Yeah, you were not here last week. I don't know if you listened to the show, but uh, I told everybody that you were off doing your forensic accounting of your bar bill. Did you figure out why it was higher this year? Yeah, it uh, was because I actually stayed this year instead of... <laughs> Going home when the game was over, as I have been wont to do uh, the last couple of years. But uh, yeah, no, uh, out of that haze, uh, you know, I love my spreadsheets and, uh, yep. and all that. So no, uh, back out of it. Uh, looking forward to talking with you. Yes, we are here in the summer, as we always are, talking about some curling. I am very excited about this episode, Scott, because we don't get too, too much into the technical side of the sport too often. We did a little bit after the 2021 Canadian Olympic trials, where did a bit of an analysis of Jennifer Jones's final shot in the 10th end and the idea of the soft release, which is why that one overcurled that we talked about a little bit what a soft release is. Mm hmm talked about how many fewer rotations it worked out to about three quarters less of a rotation on the stone as it went down the ice causing the overcurl that she missed but we don't really talk too too much about the technical side of making shots very often we just talk about hey i made this shot i missed this shot but we don't really talk too too much about why so i have seven key factors in making a shot and we're going to go through them and figure out which one perhaps is the most important in terms of making a shot all the way down to the least important one. And I will preface this by saying, I think all seven of these are important and hmm. greatly contribute to making a shot. So we'll have that as the caveat as we go through and rank these. And Scott, as somebody, uh, both of us, who have missed plenty of shots in our day, what do oh, yeah. you think is the primary factor behind a miss. Well, there's lots of uh, lots of reasons I've missed shots in my day. <laughs> but uh, it, it, there's sometimes it's a physical thing. Sometimes it's a mental thing. For the majority of Rick curlers, I would say it's more likely a physical thing than a mental thing. Uh, if you're going out once a week or twice a week, you probably don't get psyched out by that many shots. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, maybe you're playing in the club championship and there's you're the only game on the ice or everybody's gone off and, you know, everyone's watching you before the next draw goes out. Uh, so there's some mental aspects to missing those kinds of shots, but uh, for the most part, physical. And I found that as I've trained more uh, and and been more comfortable with my body, that it's been a lot easier to make shots uh, from the physical side. So then it shifts to be more of a mental focus. Yeah, the, the more repetition you have, the more you play, 
the more consistent you're going to be on the physical side and yeah, it becomes a mental thing. I said this a few months ago when I had that hit to sit eight, not to score eight, to sit eight. That's as nervous as I've ever been. My legs were shaking when yeah. I was going down to the other end. And that's something that as a rec player, you don't really have any big shots ever. Like even a draw to win the game isn't really a big shot. I mean, it can feel like a big shot. Yeah, you want to win the game, but ultimately it's not. It's not really yeah. for anything at the yeah. level we play. Certainly. So, yeah, you can occasionally get a big one. Dean, our friend Dean on the scene, he had a draw to win the club championship and he made it. And he was, I think, the only game on the ice. But as mm-hmm. he tells the story, uh, there was a hockey game on the TV that was more compelling. So nobody was actually watching him make the <laughs> shot. It's only the, the only other people who saw it and could confirm it are the seven other people who were on the ice <laughs> playing in the game. But even at that, it's kind of a big feels like a big moment you want to make the shot mm-hmm. so yeah it can be that mental side to things but it, i agree with you that for the most part at our level it's going to be a physical thing that uh, causes a miss or potentially this isn't necessarily a physical but we'll get to it the preparation side which i guess is a mix of physical slash strategy slash whatever so yeah get into it scott these are in the order that i have them in no particular order at all so actually, no, let's go in order of the process of the shot. What- yeah, let's do that. that. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So uh, we talked about that. Yeah. So let's go. Let's go through this way. So let's start with the ice. I think that's the first thing that comes in the process of the shot is that the skip puts down the broom and determines what the ice is going to be for a. Well, Sean, I would back. Shot. I would backtrack from that and say the the call itself the the type of shot called right is is an important part of the shot too uh but maybe we're just gonna gonna say that's up to the skip that's not up to the player who's throwing necessarily so we'll take that part out of the equation of it being successful but i do think it is important to say that the skip should be calling the shot based on what they know about their player in order to maximize the probability of of success. Yes, if it's possible to, right? I mean, if, if you're possible. the lead and you're throwing the first stone of an end and you're better at hits, well, ain't nothing to throw at. Yeah, you can try to hit the broom and put the right <laughs> weight on it. But uh, yeah. yeah, not no takeouts possible. Right, yes, that that is very true, yes. So yeah, you want to try to, as best you can, cater to what your players are good at. And I guess maybe the ice fills uh, in with that. You can have the Ben yeah. Hebert rule that you only play one turn uh, over the course of uh, your, your games. But yeah. I think the ice is a really important factor. And obviously this is not on the thrower necessarily, unless it's the skip who is throwing. So Scott, you skip, you put the broom down for six shots before you go throw. And on the team that we currently play on, I would say that uh, the three other players, myself being one of them, we all throw very differently. Yes. So Steph, our lead, she tends to let the rock go a little sooner than mm-hmm. I do or, or Jesse does. I think I have a, a slightly less positive release than Jesse does. and yep. uh, But we both tend to release it around the same point, but the different release means I'm going to get a little less rotation than Jesse does, who's very positive. So, Scott, as a skip, 
how do you figure out or try to figure out where to put down the broom, especially at the rec level where you have eight players on the ice, all of whom probably throw differently and all of whom probably are doing it very inconsistently as well. Yeah, I think the inconsistency is the hardest part because it's easy to know generally that, yeah, okay, Sean's going to get a little less curl on his outturn because he's he tends to pop that uh, a little bit of inside yep. out so it runs straighter. Or uh, for Jesse, if he's thrown a, a peel or run back or something, I know to put the broom exactly where I want it to hit because he's probably not going to get any curl. Uh, with Steph, some, sometimes I'll give more ice on a certain turn than another just based on the, the way that uh, that she throws. For me, it's the same thing. I, I When I'm icing myself, I know to give myself a little bit more than I would Jesse maybe, but maybe a bit less than you. So right. those are all things that the skip can learn over the course of a season. But when it's inconsistent throughout a game, then it's basically impossible, right? Because <laughs> you say, okay, make this hit and oh, you, you dumped it and it didn't curl. And then the next yeah. one, you put the broom further out and you throw it good yeah. and it over curls or like, it's just, uh, that's pretty tough. But at the beginning of the game, I, I sort of have a general, I'll put the broom just maybe inside the edge of the eight foot for a center line guard. So assume about three and a half to four feet of curl. And the ice will tell you as the game goes on, if it's going to be different. Yeah. Uh, so the skip has to be learning a lot throughout the game from both the players and the ice yeah. about putting the broom in the right position as the first element to making a shot successful. How much do you think is on a player themselves? So a non-skip, the third obviously has to pay attention a little bit. At the very least, they're watching two rocks come down the ice if they're not watching anything else yeah. over the course of the game. But lead seconds which I play second with us on our team. I feel like I don't really get too much sense of, of the ice and what the curl's doing, even mm. sweeping the rocks. Because maybe if there's four-foot lines, if you're in a, an arena with four-foot lines, maybe. But without a four-foot line, I find it, I just like, all right, broom's there. I'm going to try to hit it. So that's yeah. kind of my sense of it. But for you, how much do you think there's any responsibility on the part of the thrower to perhaps suggest ice if they feel it's wrong. Uh, I think, you know, as the game is, as the game goes along and you've seen a few shots, then yeah, right at the beginning, I'd, I'd be like, well, what, do you want to come <laughs> down here and, and do it? But, uh, <clears throat> but no, as the game goes on and if a player knows as well that they, if they're not feeling as confident with a certain turn, yeah. then they might say, you know what? I, I've been really getting this turn started all night. Give me a, a little bit more ice just in case. And sure. in that sense, you know, you want to listen to the player and listen to what they're experiencing uh, in in the house and, and as they throw. So in that, that is the time where I would be most open to hearing hearing that. And, you know, if somebody says, hey, can you just give me a little more than... Yeah, well, I'm not I'm not like an expert either, right? right? I'm just going on based on what I've been seeing, and yeah, I yeah. one time, Sean, I did. I was playing in Vancouver when I was younger, 
and somebody wanted more ice. And I said, no. <laughs> and, uh, they got really mad at me. It was my coach and we got, we, uh, I, I was not skipping the next end. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Uh, so be, one, be receptive. You know. Yeah. I, I think one of the factors too, though, uh, in terms of, again, at the rec level, if we're getting into the ranking side of it, how important the ice is, is the fact that uh, I don't know how often I hit the broom. I'm in the neighborhood, but in yeah. terms of actually hitting it, eh, it's really a toss up. Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, but most people are pretty close. Yeah. And then if you if you don't hit it, then yeah, the the odds of making a shot successfully if you don't hit the broom pretty low even if the broom is in the wrong spot right like right so, so yeah all right so as it sits now though of the things we've talked about it is the most important because it's the only one we've talked about so let's default. move on default. <laughs> so the next part is the setup and i'm framing the setup as in the hack and there's a couple yeah. things here one of which i learned very recently maybe within the last year or 18 months that you're supposed to get into the hack from behind which yeah i had never heard that before uh but i've never really did lessons was never huh. really had a never really had a coach i would just pull the rock and get into the hack and be like who cares like whatever so apparently you're supposed to get into the hack from the back which i guess that matters for reasons and then the idea though is that your hips face the target because yeah. if your hips and your, well, maybe more your hips and your shoulders, but both sort of in conjunction, if they're square, if your hips are square to the target, when you kick out, you will go right towards the broom. So that's the idea, essentially, that you want your hips to the target. I've heard it said other ways that I'm not going to say on the show, but perhaps you've heard it in other ways. Let's well, Sean, I've heard yeah. tummy to target. Okay. Yeah. Belly. Yeah. If your belly button's facing the target, that's good. Yeah. I like that. So that's. The general idea, mid your mid body area uh, yeah. facing the target. So, in your sense, Scott, because you've had coaching before, how mm. important is the setup to making a shot? It's really important, really important, Sean. You're when you go tummy to target. That's when you're standing behind the hack, and when you step into the hack, that should that should maintain that alignment. Uh, I always point my toe on the hack towards the broom. Yeah. Uh, that's a little more subtle and not necessarily for everyone. Uh, I would say for the majority, it's probably good good practice to do that, to have the toe pointing right at the broom when you're standing in the hack. Yeah, but here's the thing, because again, I really care about pace of play. So if everybody waits till the broom's down to get into the hack, that's a pace of pay, pace of play problem. Well, no, you should get into the hack, clean your rock, and then stand up, get the call from the skip, then you're down. Or you know, a lot of times, Sean, you know what the call. You know what the be, shot right? is. Yeah, you know. So what the shot is. you can do that pre-shot preparation. Yeah. Uh, before, so okay. I, I don't think it's that much time. If you're right. doing an arm. Yeah, the arm thing. Angle. Yeah. Let's put this on Instagram. Yeah. The uh, You're basically plumb bobbing yeah, the shot. I don't think you need to do that. Like, if it's your technique, okay. 
Um, but by making sure that your belly button is aligned towards the target and that your toe in the hack is pointing towards uh, the, the broom, you should be good. Yeah. All right, Scott. Now, is it more important than the ice? Is the setup a more important factor than where the broom is? I'll say yeah. Yeah, I think it's more important to be uh, properly set up, square to the target. Because uh, if you're not, it really, really reduces the likelihood that the shot is going to get made. Yeah. Uh, vice, the broom being, you know, a, a few inches off or or something is less impactful. Do you agree? No, I, I totally agree. I think the setup is very important uh, that you want to be going in that right direction, that you're going to have that squareness to the other end. Yeah, if the broom is off by an inch or two, like you can still make the shot, especially at our level. So it's, yeah, the setup I think is far more important. But then there's the next part. Once you are set up, ready to go, then you kick out of the hack. And I will say that if you're playing with a stick, I think it's the same general concept, sort of the momentum moving forward. So whether you're in the hack or you're, playing with the stick obviously this doesn't apply to the wheelchair game where you are stationary when you have to throw and that is in the arms and it's kind of all in the arms there and in uh, with a stick or when you're kicking out of the hack it's a lot of legs involved in that so let's talk about that part of it scott the kick out and how important the kick out is on both hits and draws I think it's uh, maybe the most important part uh, of, of the delivery in the sense that the kick is what di- dictates the weight for the most part, for the most part. You can, you can add or uh, I don't like taking off a little cause it's much harder. You pull the string. That's uh, that, that's not great, but, but it, given the importance of weight to, on a shot, then the kick is the most important component of, of the weight. So uh, perhaps you have a, a shot where the weight isn't that important. You want, you know, a guard anywhere from just over the hog line to just in front of the house, like anywhere is fine on that center line. Then the kick is less important than it would be if you need to make a, a tap just through to the hack because you're coming navigating a small port. So uh, the, the importance of the kick, in my mind, is dependent on the importance of the weight to the shot. Okay. Okay. What's your so, thoughts? So I, I think I mostly agree, but I would say it's not the most important component of the shot because you can adjust. Again, it's not yeah. ideal to adjust, but if you're set up wrong, once you start, that's it. Whereas if you kick mm. light, yeah, you can do a little bit of a, an ad with the arm. If you kick heavy, which as you say, isn't great. One of the things that I do, which used to drive Megan mad, I would kind of like put pressure on the stone to kind of slow me down a bit and then do a bit of an arm ad after that. I'm really more of a feel player, Scott. Uh, the <laughs> yeah. times. Whatever whatever break. works, Sean. Whatever yeah, works. I'm very much a, a feel player. So to me, the kick, while yes, it's important, because there are corrective measures you can take, I don't think it's as important with the caveat that you don't want to be in a position where you have to take those corrective measures in the middle right. of the shot. Right. 
So they're available, but you don't want to use them. It's your break in case of emergency thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, it is it is like a bit of more margin for error. Yeah. And yeah, if you're lined up totally wrong in the hack and you try to slide one way and your body is fishtailing, yeah. uh, much more difficult to recover from yeah. than needing to add or take off a little bit. Yeah, so in my mind, I would put the kick after setup, but ahead of ice. Yeah. Okay. okay. Sorry. I was I, after as in below it in importance. Yeah. So it's setup, kick, ice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then let's go to the one that confounds us all. The release. Uh, the release. Yes. The very release. We hear it all the time. Release sensitive ice. You got to get the release straight. Are you positive? Uh, you hooked it, whatever it is. There's lots of words to describe a poor release. So Scott, one of the things that I remember being told at a curling club, and I don't really do this, but I, I teach it to people, like uh, new people when they come try it. And I say, well, this is a good way to start, even though I don't think I really do this myself, yeah. is the handshake that yeah. essentially... If you're throwing, if you're right-handed, throwing an out turn, take the stone over to not quite three o'clock, between two and three o'clock. And as you let it go, just go from that position to extend your hand like you're going to shake the hand of a person at the other end of the ice. And for an intern, for a right-handed player, start between nine and 10 o'clock and same thing. Do the hand shake release for a nice, clean, consistent release. That's what I heard I say it to other people. Again, I'm a field player, which, okay, maybe not the greatest because I don't think I'm super consistent, even though I go inside out on the out turn. Nevertheless, that's how I, in my head, internalize a clean release. But Scott, what were you taught and how do you consider, what do you consider a good clean release? Yeah, I, I've, I was also taught from 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock up to noon is how you want to go. So you started at uh, 10 or two. And as you slide out, you put the turn on it until it's at 12. And that way the handle is pointing straight and you can take your fingers off. And yeah, you want to be able to handshake somebody who, who would be standing at the, at the hog line. Uh, I don't know if that's still the way that, uh, that is taught. Maybe, Someone can can write in and let us know, given the importance of having more rotation on uh, arena surfaces and that more clubs are having more and more curl, it's uh, important, even at the club level, to have very positive rotation. Uh, you might even want to take it a little past 12. But uh, I think once you're get, when you're getting started, yeah, and for consistency, that uh, two hours up to to noon is sort of the best uh, yeah now rule of obviously thumb. players especially when you see on tv do it very differently i would say if you're learning shannon burchard might not be the best model yeah bj newfeld maybe not the best model i mean they're obviously great players and they can do it but i still don't understand how shannon burchard is able to get the rock out of her hand before the hog line or how bj newfeld doesn't burn every stone he throws but they managed yeah. to do it but for a beginner maybe not how you want to start 
with it. Scott, what's some of the weirdest releases that you've seen at the rec level? Um, there was one guy I used to play with who would like flick it. So yeah. rather than having a general release would sort of come out and do all the rotation right at the very end. Oh, uh, and I, I thought that was weird. And that um, young man grew up to be Nicholas Adeen and made <laughs> and made the, the greatest shot, shot we've ever all seen. Time. Uh, that one. I mean, I'm I'm always confounded when people let the rock go very early. Right. I, I understand that you know that's something you might have learned and and are good at, and there's no reason that you can't be successful with it. But I always feel like, oh, the rock's already starting to curl by the time it hits the hog line. And that makes it a little a little tougher on the sweepers and on, on the skip calling the shot. So that's a little weird. Uh, have you seen anything uh, interesting in particular? The only one that stands out to me, and I'm pretty sure this was somebody in Saskatchewan when I was there, most people everyone has the stone position so that where the handle the part that you hold is connected to the rest of the handle is away from you yeah 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 i have this recollection of somebody having it the reverse and holding the stone the other way that's really strange yeah i have this recollection i it it might just be in my head but i have that recollection of always being very perplexed by that really uh could up your chances of burning the rock yeah and just the momentum of how you get that rotation like you want it the rotation becoming where the connection is strong between the the handle that you're holding and the re- anyway it, yeah it's yeah strange. I, I feel like i've seen that too but uh, not yeah. for a while yeah so scott in terms of our ranking of what is the most important thing to make a shot i think this goes to the top of the table I think the release is the most important because if you pull it out or if you dump it in, you don't have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to agree. The release is the most important. You can have the perfect setup, the perfect uh, kick, great speed right on target. But yeah, if you play with it a little bit or uh, just, just get it started early. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be good for the shot. So yeah, I'd take this to the top of the list. Yeah, or the dreaded double touch. Yeah, the double yeah, touch. Oof. All right, now the next three kind of all happen at the same time, but I think there's still a sequential order to them. So let's go to the line call. Mm-hmm. This is usually the domain of the person in the house, but depending on the team dynamic, sometimes the person who throws it wants to have a, a more vocal part of it. I will yeah. say I'm guilty of this sometimes, and... There was a moment this year where we actually had a spare with us and I was skipping the Thursday team and I wanted the team to sweep because I thought it was getting very close to a guard. He was calling them off because not only did he want to make the little run back we were trying, he wanted to roll off as to not give the other team that same run back. So we played Uh it very close to the guard. Fortunately, the guys listened to him and we made the way he envisioned it. 
Whereas if we made it the way I had, was calling it, we probably don't score that end. Instead, we score stole a couple. But generally speaking, Scott, the rule is listen to the person in the house, even if it's the skip who's throwing the rock, yeah. that you should listen to the person in the house. But one of the things about the line call that I think is underemphasized is preemptively sweeping because on a lot of ice surfaces, once it goes, once a rock starts to curl, especially on draws, it's gone and it's hard to to save it. So yeah. Yeah. again, as somebody who skips a lot at the rec level, how difficult is it to know exactly when to get people on the ice? Obviously, if the, the stone is in or out, then it's easy. But on one yeah. that's re- pretty well thrown at the broom, understanding that break point, how difficult is that? I think it's very difficult for rec players to to get the feel for that. It it comes with just watching a lot of rocks. And sometimes there I, I do find that there is like intuition for when it's gonna curl that sometimes I'll have more than my opponent or my opponent will sometimes have more than me. Uh and it, it just is you know, I've seen a couple down here. I know what it's going to do and being very confident with it too. So even, you know, I know we need to, I know we're passing the guard by, you know, three feet, but I need you to sweep it because it is going to curl and it's going to finish in real nice. And we just need to get that distance to be able to, to get it all the way buried. Right. So uh, the the line call I think is important, but I I wouldn't put it as more important than the uh, the release, and I don't think I would put it more important than the uh, uh, leg kick. Okay, so the, what was the one? The setup the, was number two. The setup, maybe yeah. the setup there. Uh, actually, I don't think it's more important than the leg kick either. Yeah, I think I agree. I think the the sweeping, you know, especially at the rec level, where I think I'm a pretty good sweeper for the rec level. But I mean, we're not doing what the guys on TV can do. No, like, not at all. You know, I, I'm you put me against Ben Hebert or Bircher or Galance or Caitlin Laws or yeah. I, like I, I could just basically name anybody on TV. They're yeah. all going to do much, much better than me. So, and and again, I think I'm a pretty good sweeper for the rec level. So at our level, the sweeping doesn't have the same impact as the, the, uh, what what you're going to see on TV. So with that being said, the line call, it's important, but maybe not as important. So the next one on the list, though, Scott, is the sweeping itself as opposed to the line call. So I just mentioned that I don't think the sweeping, it has an effect, no question. Yeah. Yeah. And you can save a few here and there. But for the most part, it's not the same as what you're going to see on TV. So the question I have, where do you think the sweeping is more important at the rec level, on a hit or on a draw? Uh, I think it's more important on a draw. I think... Uh being able to get it, you know, I think good rec sweepers can take the rock probably six to 10 feet with their sweeping, depending of course, how high it is. Uh, So yeah, like you could take a rock from top 12 foot 
and put it on the T line just with sweeping. Right. As the only, like I threw one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've, I've swept some of your rocks. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I, I know what uh, sometimes needs to be done. So I've seen you do it. So there you go. <laughs> uh, I know it's possible. Uh, yeah. I think it's much more important on a, on a draw, on a hit. Like you say, we're not uh, using those fabrics and sort of keeping it straight or carving it in quite to the, to the level that uh, we see on TV. So sure. I think there is like a little bit to it at the club level, but uh, not as much as on TV. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that in a lot of rec leagues, the cheetah brooms are still allowed. Uh, or at least if not allowed, nobody's really saying anything. Right? I don't use the yellow, the mustard fabric. I no longer use a cheetah broom. And sadly, the broom that I had that wasn't necessarily a cheetah broom, but became a cheetah broom because I couldn't get a replacement part. Mm-hmm. Sadly, that one uh, no longer uh, can help us make shots because when I was using that, boy, howdy, was sweeping and pour. That rocketed yeah. to the top <laughs> of the list. Uh, but yeah, in this environment... If you're using the mustard official broom heads, it does compromise a little bit how effective you can be, especially on curl. At distance, maybe not as much, but certainly on curl. Yeah. So does this go along then with line call? I think I, I think sweeping might be a little more important than line call because it also speaks to weight. Yeah, I, I put it ahead of line call because it does – uh, impact the weight, as you said. So, yeah, like you can have a perfect line or line call. Yeah. But if the sweepers don't sweep it far enough because because they didn't judge the weight properly, then that's more important to the final result of the shot than having a great line call. Right. So as we sit now, Scott, going into our last factor... Our list currently is the release, the setup, the kick, the sweeping, the line call, and then the broom dice. That's the list as we have it right now as we head to the last item, and that is the overall communication through the course of the shot. So this is encompassing the line call a little bit because obviously that is communication, but my thought here is mostly communication first from the thrower to the sweepers as the rock is let go, I think at our level, but you see it on TV as well. Players will often say, oh, I added or I held it back a little bit uh, or I dumped it out or they'll make a comment about what they've done as they let the stone go. They'll say, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah, I do that a Uh, lot. uh, uh, Ooh, oh, oh no. Sweet, Uh, please. Yeah, so you hear that uh, frequently. Uh, And then the communication from the sweepers down to the skip uh, mm-hmm. what the weight is what's going on with the stones scott i know what i try to do as a sweeper when the rock is thrown and, and as it's going down the ice but as the skip what do you want in terms of communication from the other end of the ice as the stone is in motion something i want uh, <laughs> i want something like especially on the on the draws on the hits uh, less so if we're you know trying to throw board weight and it's peeled and yeah that's going to be important but sure. for the most part it's like eh, close enough right. but that's well, an easy board 
Oh, uh, you hack. know, a heavy hack. easy board, heavy hack. Yeah. Uh, in that range. <laughs> but on the, on the draws, I want to know like, okay, if you're not sweeping it, I assume that it's heavy, but I, I also want to know like, where do you think it's going to be? Cause I'm always trying to plan B plan C. Sure. And okay, if I know that it's, it's back to like something in the back and we need to keep it on the line to be able to get there, then yeah, I'll have you sweep for line. But it's very hard to communicate all of that nuance uh, back and forth, right? It right. has to be like, just trust trust the decision. Uh, I might say something like, <clears throat> like plan B or... Uh, play the tick or something yeah. just to just to indicate to the sweepers that we're not going to make the shot as called, but there's a something else that we can make. So listen to what I'm saying. Yeah, I I think that's important too. And yeah, for the sweepers, one of the things that's really hard to do, I find, especially when I'm sparing, and on the rare rare occasions where I spare in like a cash league, mm-hmm. and all the players are better than me. Like one of the things that I find, if not intimidating, perhaps unnerving is trying to call out weight when you just don't want to be wrong. You know, like you, you, that, that's the thing that, and, and I know this, all skips will say just something is better than nothing. Yes. But as the person doing it, sometimes you get, you just get in your head sometimes, right? Like mm-hmm. if I call top 12 and it ends up back four foot, then I'm like, Oh, I screwed up. And like, and you get in your head, like no one else, like, yes, the skip would rather it be correct. But in your head, you're thinking, oh, they think I'm terrible and I'm awful when they're like, oh, OK, a little heavier yeah. than expected. All right. Well, and and but really what it is, is what you're guessing. And that's informing how you're sweeping. Right. So you don't yeah. have to be right. I, I just need to know why you're not sweeping. Right. Right. If it's going to be light. And if then it seems to me halfway down, like, are, are you sure? I'll go take take a look. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, just to reconfirm and uh I, what I teach uh, young players, uh, new players, is make a guess when they let it go. When the rocks let go, make a guess. Say it out loud. Make a guess. Yep. Halfway down the ice, make another guess. It can be the same. It, it could be different based on what you're seeing. And then again at the far hog line, make a guess. Say something out loud. And then keep talking. And you kind of just get into the habit of talking and saying yeah. it. And eventually you'll be right. And you'll be like, Hey, hey I was pretty smart yeah, on that one. Yeah. So it gets in the habit and, and yeah, like any information is better than nothing. Yeah. And I think one of the things too, that for as much as I do enjoy playing with three when I'm the sweeper and mostly it's because of the throwing side, I like throwing the extra stone, but it yeah. is harder when you're by yourself on the ice on, in terms of judging weight and stuff. Because you, well, you get one fewer rock to do at an end. It's you're only doing five instead of six over the course of the end. But mm-hmm. when there's two people, you can kind of bounce off each other a little bit. And if it's two people, yeah. especially if you've played together for a while, you kind of get a sense of where everyone's at. And uh, so, so I think that's a, a factor in it as well. And the other thing too, and in, in I think this is important that, and it's easier the longer you play together, or in some cases, perhaps harder the longer you play together, is understanding how everybody else communicates. And you know, one of mm. the things for me and you, probably more yeah. you than me, is there are moments over the course of a curling season 
where individuals can become quite animated in a moment uh, of communication (laughs) during the course of a game and just understanding whether or not that is actual anger or frustration or if it's just excitement in the moment or if it's just whatever it is, right? I, I've yeah. I've increased the number of panic calls that I've given now that I play third on Thursday nights. But part of the reason for the panic calls on occasion is simply so that the guys can hear me because I feel that when you're down at the other end and the you, the other players are kind of on top of you and all the ends are coming in the, or all the games are coming in the same direction yeah. it feels a lot louder when you're close to everybody else so sometimes i yell in a panicky way not cuz i'm panicking but merely because i don't know if they can hear me yeah 3 quarters yeah. of the way down the ice like that that's really sometimes what it is so just kind of understanding motivations behind it because the tone of a yell can sometimes sound aggressive without actually being aggressive. And I know mm-hmm. that 90% of the time or 95% of the time, you don't actually, you aren't actually mad. No, no. But <laughs> no, sometimes, I'm, I'm, sometimes you are. I'm very rarely like legit angry. Sometimes <laughs> I'm sort of like funny, angry, like, uh, Oh, come on guys. Like you couldn't get it there. Like, or yeah. what are you doing? We, yeah, but no, like never. Urgh. Yeah, I did get legit. I think I, not legit, but kind of like peeved this year at you where we were drawing for a point. You only had to hit the paint and Steph yeah. and I had to go post to post on it whole way. We barely get a biter and we're so we're at the hog line, the second hog line, and we've been going the whole way. I, I'm. I'm not sure if we're going to get it there. And then you start like really yelling, like let's, and I, I'm like, shut up. Like, we're doing, we're going, we're going as hard as we can. You're the one who threw it terribly. Like leave yeah. me alone. Like, let me do my, like, so yeah. that one, I was like, come on, man. What are yeah, we doing the, I, out here? I feel like those ones are more of like me, me not wanting to be so embarrassed <laughs> that I couldn't even hit the paint. Uh, oh, geez. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, so communication scott where does it rank for us and again just uh, to tee us up here it is the last one yeah so currently our order is release setup kick sweep line and the ice i i want to put it number one but Ooh. if you can have perfect communication and if you dump something with a bad turn yeah then it doesn't matter right if your communication is bad uh yeah. what's the one after the second one release so it goes release setup kick setup. and that's this is where i would actually put it i would put it between the kick and the sweep because i don't mm-hmm. think you can have good sweeping without good communication but i don't think the communication is necessarily as important as the kick yeah i i if you could add to the communication part communication of the weight yeah which i which i am yeah so that part i think is as important as the kick because if if you don't know that you can't kick properly sure so i might put it above the kick but uh either one is is fine all right well then uh since you say either one is fine and i have the list in front of me it's going after kick okay (laughs) All right. So our final list of the factors that go into making a shot in terms of importance 
our release, then the setup, then your kick out the hack, communication, the sweeping, the line call, and then putting the broom down, the ice that you give. Those are our factors making a shot. If you do all seven of those, going to make the shot. Yeah, absolutely. And and so that might also be a thing to practice, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're going to practice something, maybe prioritize using that list and see what happens. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's the way to go. Yeah, because one of the things too that I, you often find this with people who practice, you'll go and you'll just throw. And not that that's necessarily wrong, but you want to go and have a specific thing. You want to be working on something. You want to be... Mm-hmm doing drills and not just trying to say draw the button all the time you want to go out have a specific task in mind so whether it's setting up so that you know you see this oftentimes as, as a drill you put out two stones and say i got a slide i want to slide between the stones yeah and you maybe don't even let the rock go like you just work on that in terms of setup uh and then and then release you can practice release just on the in the hack without doing anything without kicking out you can just practice your release that way so yep. there's ways to do that communication hell summer go to a patio with the people you play with that can be a way to practice your communication uh, hang out so th- there's a lot of things that you can do that you can practice uh, for all these things so that is our list it might give you something to do over the summer when you get back into the arena or if you're playing now in a summer league maybe helping you now so that is what we got for you this week if we missed any out do let us know if you don't like those rankings you can also let us know about it on social media at Game of Stones Pod on Twitter and Instagram, Game of Stones Podcast on Facebook, Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. You can also head over to GameofStonesPod.com. Past episodes are there, plus a link to the merch if you want yep. to check out some of the things we got going on. A wide variety of colors are now available through the merch on the shirts and such. So, uh, more options than there were before so if you want to go over check that out and of course as always do subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast likes rates comments all that good stuff helps us grow the show helps other people find us scott we are about to turn the calendar here into july it's almost canada day any canada day traditions well sean we do live in ottawa and Canada Day in Ottawa is typically, uh, you know, a big festivity, lots mm-hmm. of uh, fireworks and performances and uh, learning opportunities around town. So uh, that's always good if you are in a, a place such as that. Uh, so, yeah, watching fireworks, I think, is the, the probably biggest Canadian tradition uh, for Canada Day. Although I, I don't know if they do fireworks in as many places anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe not. They're expensive. Yeah, yeah. And with the fires going on, it's yeah, you maybe not don't safe wanna, in a lot of the country right now. Don't want to uh, burn anything. So, uh, yeah, what about you, Sean? What do you do on Canada Day? Uh, as much as possible, I like to leave uh, this beautiful leave country Ottawa. of ours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a few times I've, managed to uh, get out of town especially when it's a long weekend that is to plan this long weekend as well head down south and watch some baseball some minor league baseball so yeah baseball yeah. in canada day is always good i think last year you came over here 
and we watched the Blue Jays game. Had yep. a had a barbecue. Did that. Uh, had a good uh, relaxing day. So yeah, have a good time down south watching baseball. Thank you, and uh, you as well. And happy Canada Day to everybody out there. As Scott said, a chance to celebrate, but also to reflect. There are a lot of great resources. There's always a good chance, or uh, always a good opportunity to uh, check out the work of the. Uh, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the folks out there at the Truth and Reconciliation, the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation out there in Winnipeg. So uh, uh, always a good chance to reflect on the totality of the nation and its history. So I encourage everybody to take a moment to do that. And for our friends down in the United States, happy 4th of July to you. Uh, and same thing about uh, a lot of the Centers for Information in the United States. Uh, it's, you know, always great uh, to be proud of where you're from, uh, but it's also great to understand sort of the totality of, uh, of where of where you're from's history. So uh, that's the historian me encouraging everybody to uh, celebrate safely, happily, and uh, take an opportunity to uh, reflect and learn a little bit about these wonderful places that we call home. So with that... We will bid you well. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you again next week. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice. Don't dump that intern. Make the final.